0: So, if you happened to be here for Bible study on Wednesday, you would have gotten a, a sneak peek into uh, today's message from 1 Peter chapter 3. But you also would have gotten some really good enchiladas. They were amazing. And Brenda made fruit salad and there was uh, dessert and there was just everything that... Uh, you'd want, if you ever went into a Mexican restaurant, it was there for you. And the other thing you would have seen was our table was completely full. I don't think we, I, I think we had to add seats. There, there wasn't any place that was vacant. So we had to move around and, and get people. We even had uh, Sheila on the, on the live stream. And so we had a full house. And it, I, I have to tell you, it blessed me. Um, it warmed my heart. Particularly, uh, the fellowship was, was great, but when we got to the, to the word, this, this message that I want to bring to you this morning is so important to us. Here this third Sunday in Lent, it, it gives us, well, it maps out. For us, the church, what our mission is in the world. Sometimes we forget because we get busy with the mundane things, the everyday, the business of running the church, the business of running our own business, whatever it may be. And, and also the business of just life sometimes distracts us from our mission as Christians in the world today. So I'm reading uh, the scripture from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 18, if you want to follow along in whatever version of the Bible you have with you this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, I'm going through the end of the chapter. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. So as I said, this is the third Sunday in Lent. We continue this journey of of self-examination, of introspection, of discernment. And we take stock. We should be taking stock of our relationship with Christ. While we're at it, we should be taking stock of our relationships one to another. And we should be looking at our relationship with ourselves. We do this every year because the journey that took Christ to the cross was a journey Jesus took for you and for me. And so we have this responsibility to assess from time to time whether or not we are living a life, traveling a road, making a personal journey that is worthy of his sacrifice. A journey that is moving us along the path in his footsteps and that ultimately will have us arrive where he is in the presence of God in good standing with God the Father. That is the goal, is it not? So we examine ourselves in this Lenten season and we put our faith walk into the context of this sanctifying journey and and the journey that Christ took to the cross. And so my message this morning from 1 Peter is one where Peter talks about this journey and what it means for us as the people of God. He says it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to be punished for doing bad. That's what Christ did definitively. He suffered because of other people's sins, not his own. The righteous one for All of us, the unrighteous ones. And he went through all of that. He was put to death on the cross. And then he was made alive by his own power to bring us to God. See, Jesus's journey from the time he was baptized by John until he was taken into custody and he was beaten and he was humiliated and he was crucified, that Journey was a ministry of doing nothing but the will of the Father. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was pointing out the error in the thinking of the day, specifically the thinking of the priests and the Pharisees. And they killed him for it. At least they thought they had. They sent him to the cross. And they thought that they had stopped his radical teaching. But see, what they didn't understand was that he chose to go to the cross. Why? To fulfill the will of the Father. To take our sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world, past, present, future. To take our sin upon himself and to exchange it for his perfect righteousness. He took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. And he did that so that we, you and I, could be presented to the Father as spotless, blameless, righteous, pure. It's hard to think of ourselves in that context, isn't it? We live our lives as human beings in a fallen and broken world. And let's face it, you and I participate in that fallen, broken world, contribute to it even. And yet, if we have this relationship with Jesus, all God sees when he looks at us is the blood of Christ. He sees us as pure, as holy, as sanctified. Peter then in the scripture talks about Jesus sending the Holy Spirit in the days of Noah to offer a chance for repentance and salvation to the people of that time. Noah, the whole time he was building the ark, was warning them, look, you have to repent. And oh, by the way, a time's coming when this big boat that I'm building is going to be necessary. And so you have to repent and then you have to get on the ark. And they mocked him and they ridiculed him and they rejected his offer for salvation. And so in verses 19 through 22, he went and proclaimed God's salvation to earlier generations who ended up in the prison of judgment because they wouldn't listen. Think about this now. Out of all the people occupying hell, when Jesus had died and was put into the tomb, that time that he spent conquering death, one of the things that he did during that time before that Easter Sunday where he was resurrected was he made a lap through hell, scripture tells us, specifically to talk to those who had rejected the offer of salvation that came from Noah and the ark. Think about it. Think about it. All the people occupying hell, Jesus went to talk to those people specifically. Now, what he wasn't doing down there was he was not there to offer them a second chance at salvation. No, this is important. That ship had sailed for them. It was the ark. And they rejected it. They rejected that offer of salvation. There wouldn't be a second opportunity for them. So what's the what's the purpose of, Peter, uh, of, of Jesus going to the prison of hell and saying to those specific people, look, I've conquered death. I've conquered sin. They weren't going to get a second opportunity were they just to stand there in in their prison cell in hell and go, go, Jesus. And it wasn't Jesus walking through hell, spiking the football saying, see, I told you so. Doing his end zone dance, if you will, in hell. No, the only reason he did that was for you and me to be able to turn to Peter in our present day and read that those who rejected the opportunity of the ark are in hell with no second chance. So when we read that now, and it says, just as in the days of Noah, we put two and two together and we say, Jesus is the ark. If I reject him and then I die and go to hell, there is no second chance for me or for you or for anyone out there. Jesus is the ark. That's the only reason why it was mentioned here in 1 Peter in chapter 3 that he went to hell and talked to the people who rejected the ark so that you and I would read it. And as the church, we would be able to go out and proclaim it as simply as possible to all those people. And let me tell you, believer or unbeliever, they know the story of the ark. Christian or non-Christian, all around the world, everyone knows the story of the ark and the salvation that it offered for those that got on board. And scripture tells us when they got on board and nobody else was willing to climb on board, God himself shut the door to the ark. And just as in the days of Noah, when God says time's up, he will shut the ark door of the salvation made possible by Jesus Christ and no one else will be able to enter in. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be someone you care about. And as the church. Proclaim that story, that truth to as many as you can. The ark is Jesus Christ. Are you on board? See, Peter's comparing the work of Christ in the world today to the time of Noah. And we have to ask ourselves the all important question. As we are in the midst of this Lenten season, are we listening to that message? The people in Noah's time didn't listen and they perished in the flood. If we don't listen, the Bible says it will be as in the days of Noah. But see, we have this opportunity this Lenten season to change the course of our journey because there are two paths. This is my favorite line, Gene, I can't resist. There are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. No Led Zeppelin fans out there? (laughs) Stairway to heaven. See, that's not the Bible, but it just happens to be true. You can do some soul searching and you can make an adjustment to the course, the path that you're going to choose if you're willing to do the work and make the change. Now, Peter's scripture says, save from the water by the water. Save from the waters of destruction by the water. In the days of Noah, the water... Was the source of the destruction, the cause of the destruction, but also it was the means of salvation if you were on board the ark. While everyone was perishing, you're safely on board the ark and the water is carrying you away from the destruction. The waters of baptism, Peter says, do that for you, not by washing away dirt from your flesh. In other words, not by washing the sin from your person. It's not talking about dirt on your skin. It's talking about sin dirt on your body. Waters of baptism don't wash away that sin. But by presenting you through Jesus's resurrection before God with a clear conscience, Jesus has the last word on everything and everyone from angels to armies. He's standing right alongside God and everything that Jesus says goes. He is, after all, the judge. So just to be clear here, because this is an important point Peter's not saying that baptism in and of itself is a means of salvation. He's not saying that. He says that the waters of baptism don't cleanse the flesh, meaning they don't wash clean the part of you that's bound by sin. But rather, the waters of baptism are a pledge to God, which invokes the provenient grace of God to move in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. To help guide you and direct you into that right relationship with God only made possible by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. His body was given for you. His blood was poured out for you so that you might be saved by him who is the only one who can save. Baptism does not save. It is an outward physical sign of an inward spiritual grace. It's you saying to God, I want that that Jesus has for me. And so when you confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was crucified, died, was buried, and was resurrected, when you believe that, then Scripture says you are saved. Baptism is a means of grace. It is not a means of salvation. See, God has many means of grace. One of them uh, we received... Fairly recently, at the beginning of this Lenten season, right, we marked the ash cross on our foreheads on Ash Wednesday. And with that imposition of ashes, we reflected not only on the meaning of Jesus's journey to the cross, but also on our own journey to be reconciled back to God through Christ. And we were reminded of our own mortality, of our limited number of days on this earth. We were reminded that from dust we were created and to dust we will return. At least these mortal bodies will. We were reminded that we should number our days, Scripture says. Moses in in the 90th Psalm says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, as I I read that, God is pressing on me, even now as I stand here in front of you, the importance of living in his will rather than my will. And not only that, he's blessed me with the conviction to count my days as numbered. Some days more than others, I get a sense of my finiteness in this body. When it aches and when it hurts and when, when I have to have surgery to fix it, I get a real sense that my days are numbered in this body. And many of you might hear that. And think, wow, that's kind of morbid and morose to think in that way. But I tell you that embracing the the temporary, temporal nature of our time on earth is, is truly a blessing because it sharpens our focus on living each and every day in the context of what Moses wrote in that 90th Psalm. that God is everlasting to everlasting. It's it's not the short span of our lives that carries the meaning of life for us. Even now, It's, it's the content of our days in relationship with the everlasting to everlasting father. We often say every day above ground is a good day. But our perspective as Christ followers is just a little bit different. See, for Christ followers, every day above ground is an opportunity to seek and live into the will of God. So that our time on earth is maximized, not for our glory, but for his glory. And so that our purpose, God's purpose for your life and my life, that purpose for our lives Is fulfilled. And as long as you have breath. It's not too late to seek the will of God in your life. It's not too late to seek the will of God in your life. Our days are indeed numbered. And there's not a single person here who is promised tomorrow. And so. The result of that realization should be, don't wait to seek God's will for your life. Do it now. Because the purpose that he has for you is truth. And his is the only truth. And by the way, while you're numbering your days, now is the only time.